You're listening to Irish Radio Candidate Home and Abroad and we are in County Clare close to the Burn region at Cahar Connell Fourth. And Sean Davern is here with me. And Sean is I'm going to call you the gatekeeper, Sean, because you're the gatekeeper. <laughs> and we are surrounded, first of all, by dry stone walls as we have come through the visitor centre, which is where people will arrive to a beautiful um, asphalt parking lot. And I know sorry, car park. Yeah. And we 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 enter in we're surrounded by beautiful um, dry stone walls and we're walking towards uh, Car- 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 Ford. We are. we're talking um, three and a half thousand years ago roughly. we're talking yeah so actually our oldest remains here are nearly five thousand years old we have the remains of a bronze age house down in the valley below the fort now the fort itself is a good bit younger I'll tell you about that as we go yeah. but while I'm talking for now I might tell you about the stone walls because yeah. I always think stone walls are interesting they are so we're a fifth generation farming family here yeah. so we've also been We've been three generations in the hospitality business, and this, I suppose, we were, we're very conscious, I suppose, of our responsibility to protect this land. So as you're walking down here, you see the stone walls. So you see on your right here, yep. you've got what we call a single stone wall. Yep. Sorry, that's your that's your left, isn't it? You should have been on my driving test. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a single right. that's a single stone wall. <laughs> on the right hand side here, then we have this wall. See, it's, it's flat flat stones at the yep. bottom, and then vertical stones up higher. So that's what we call a Fujian wall. And if you look at the field just behind it, yep. you'll see there's very few stones in there. Yes. So because that wall is so wide at the bottom a lot of stones fill into it and it's a nice way to clear stones away from your field so that's a Fujian wall that's a single wall and these are the most common ones you'll see both here and on the Iron Islands now it's really good for us here as a farming family because stonewall maintenance is a big part of farming in this part yes. of the barn so we get a really strong prevailing southwesterly winter but those walls you can see you can look through them so the wind doesn't catch them they don't behave like a sail so you don't wind up with big stretches of wall knocked after yeah. the winter storms Right. And they also provide a bit of shelter for sheep so we actually use this field here as a lemon pen for the sheep for the sheep you'll see outside in the winter time they have that little bit of shelter and the walls stay standing so that's the walls and then you're going to, as we go in you'll see the stone the walls of the stone fort the other thing I should tell you about these walls is they're unlike walls you see in other places they're completely dry so there's no binding agent and that's why it's like they're dry stone and the reason I raise it is we attended a dry stone wall event in, oh, wow. on Amherst Island in Ontario oh, amazing uh, and there were um, stone I won't call them masons in this case <laughs> they were stone builders okay over and there were some from Ireland and actually Blackie O'Connell and uh, Sir Lodonna who were performing at oh, the event oh really we had Blackie here actually he did a concert inside the fort for a few years ago right well yes <laughs> so Blackie and Sir were over and um, the Queen's or the Royal war yes. builder uh, was there so and he could not accept that you could not build a dry stone wall perpendicular that it needed to be oh it needs batter yes yeah. and he was shown and he went away from the event believing yes you can the Irish know how to build walls <laughs> the other thing that was explained to us as you were explaining was that the upright stones of course facilitates drainage yeah so it's, we're actually very now we're generally very lucky here with free draining land anyway yeah. but those upright stones especially in places like the pathway wall, water can flow out through them yes. and you'll see as you're driving around the roads today you'll see those upright walls inside the roads and there's little drains running into the bottom of them Yes. so you'll see those and people come along and open them every, every summer time so that they're ready for the winter weather we get here the reason I stopped you here is to show you two of the oldest things that you see inside the fort we'll go on to the Bronze Age house later but just over here at, at where that little one is that stone yeah. so what's actually there is the remains of two grey under the wall of the fort so those two graves predate the fort they're a little older so we think they actually built the fort here in part because of the importance of whoever was buried in those right. two graves um, so there was a 
couple of kids on one side and on the other side there was a very elderly lady of 45 no I, okay <laughs> which cohort can ask that in, in the, the COVID was she a younger one than me <laughs> but when you say obviously there must have been excavations that you've found the graves and that you've carbon tested yeah so we have we've had t- we've had 10 years of archaeological excavation here so we're a family business here and we got we engaged with the archaeology I suppose it was important to us to kind of understand the site a bit better so it's been in the family for loads of years when I was a very young man which isn't as long ago as you might think <laughs> uh, my grandfather used to keep three year old cattle in here because it was one of the safest places when you'd buy a new cattle you don't want them straying off the first couple of nights they're here so if you raise the gap in the fort they're going to stay they've nowhere to go Right. so that's what it used to be when I was much younger w- we opened the visitor centre about 20 years ago 2003 and I suppose we've been trying to increase our understanding of it as part of that project going along so we began the archaeology programmes in 2007 we had our first kind of tr- test archaeology dig here so we're very lucky in the burn because there hasn't been that much land development you can see yourself as you're driving around it's not land suitable for intensive farming Um, so our remains are preserved I suppose so for archaeologists it's a real treasure trove yes so our first archaeology dig was here in 2007 and it was very successful we found, they found quite interesting things and they were able to date the fort to much later than they expected so we know now for example that the fort was built around 900 AD okay. which is much later than you might have anticipated for this sort of a structure and we also know it was inhabited up to the 17th century which again is much later than in other equivalent so sites you're in roughly 2000, more than 2,000 years of inhabitation nearly that's what we think we also which is quite a nice thing for us is throughout the habitation profile all along we found sheep and animal bones so we have a tradition of farming here we've also found dog bones so we say to people out at the sheepdog demonstrations we've been doing it for three and a half thousand years we get a little better every year (laughs) (laughs) the the dogs are better trained after three thousand years (laughs) we try to improve you know (laughs) Um, so to put it in context again the diameter approximately here so Caraconnell is really interesting in that context it's a great question so Caraconnell is about 20 metres across in the context of a single wall fort that's very large um, the walls you'll have noticed as you come in as well are about 3 metres wide yeah. so we think there's about 3 million kilos of stone in the structure so it was a huge undertaking for the family who built it you can imagine as well the difficulty of just quarrying and gathering that much stone into one place so we have found we've done further archaeological excavations outside the fort and in the valley below us we found two earlier structures Okay. so we think what happened is they started off kind of further down the valley and moved progressively up as circumstances and time improved and of course we are at, on a hill so forts were bound to be on a hill because it gives you a, a vista and you're, you're protecting your territory indeed and actually here in the burn particularly we're quite lucky water sources are scarce and you notice that as you drive around today so there's two good water sources here there's one just over here in the valley that's a very good water source in my grandfather's time that was the water they used for making tea Okay. <laughs> so you, water is obviously a big issue in the barn generally and the water we use now comes from a well that's over on that side about half a kilometre and the reason it's such an issue is because you're on limestone so it, 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 it does, just goes it, straight the water down. table isn't there yeah so two things happen water goes straight down and then in the winter then the water table rises so we get these, thing call, these things called purlocks yeah. disappearing lakes so you find you didn't have water a while ago and now you've got four or five foot of it right <laughs> and then and you can't rely on it no yes so it's a challenging parish for water but as I understand it as well those purlocks are an archaeological treasure trove because for that very reason that something may have been put there when it was dry yeah. and over the centuries 
that it's when it's dry again you're able to go on to exactly and I think as well they have that benefit that a lot of other places have around here that you can't do anything else with them really they get protected and preserved you know yes so they're always kind of uninterfered with spaces really at the most you'll have animals out there when it's dry and that won't be for too much of the year right but you're getting no development exactly and there's going to be no farming yeah. yeah there's one other thing I love showing people at this stage so I'm going to share it with you as well so if we come over here to the fire pit because we often think when we stand in here you don't realise I think quite how far away natural is so those stones you can see at the bottom that's the natural land level in here so everything from those stones up to up to the height of ground level here is actually archaeology so when our archaeologists come in in the summer times and they haven't been here for a couple of years but we hope to see them back next year they're facing maybe four or five feet all of which contains quality archaeological remains right. so we'll get maybe 20, 30 people here for 8-10 weeks of the summer they're going to dig maybe 3 metres by 3 metres something of that size because so much stuff comes out it all has, it's all going to be hand sieved it's all, you know they all work with the little trowels so yes, it's a very yes. patient undertaking but we're very lucky with the quantity of artefacts we've recovered so we actually have a lady who's down in, the, in University College Cork now who's doing a PhD on the animal bones that have been recovered from the site which is I think a fascinating thing and we're really hopeful about the results of that so with the fire pit and what it's indicative of of course is that people would have not been cooking because where this is located is not for heat in an accommodation no it's not exactly the other interesting thing about the fire pit is it predates the, or the, this building slightly it predates the fort structure so it shows that this site was important to people even before the fort was built here so we like to believe that there's a kind of standing folk memory in the area of the importance of this particular hill and this particular space and we do get people who come in and in, so in the equinoxes the sun rises through the gateway here Okay. so the sun rises over there so if you were here on the equinox the sun will rise it will run straight in the path to that number three there you can see yep. so there's a nice kind of it's kind of hard to describe but there's, yeah. a, there's a nice moment when that happens and there's a nice kind of I suppose we feel a certain link to our ancestors and to the heritage of the place on those days and as with other places be it Newgrange or we were in Chichen Itza and some other um, place that the uh, architects of back then mm -hmm. 500 BC 1000 BC had this knowledge and the ability to line up their architectural drawings and construct to them with such precision it's extraordinary isn't it I think even for us nowadays like if you think of building a house my house is just over here in the valley but if you think of building a house nowadays that it stands for 1500 years <laughs> you know like no, no, nobody lives in a house that's that age now uh, so I take it there's no pirate in the walls there's no none that we've discovered so far we're pretty confident at this stage <laughs> I, I know the listeners won't understand that one but there is a bit of an issue here in Ireland with some construction that happened in the last 20 to 30 years where pirate was in the uh, the concrete raw blocks. material yeah. that was being used to build concrete blocks and as a result some of the properties are disintegrating yes it's so, so disheartening for people yes indeed so then um, a fort also would imply and the architectural work must have revealed that communities would have been at various places around because if you're going to build a fort to defend well you're defending from yes you are it's actually it's really interesting for us uh, for us and exactly where we are here in the burn so my surname is as we said earlier is Davern yeah. so that comes from the burn it's from the Irish Dove Davern the black haired ones between the two burns Okay. so where we live in this valley is actually between what were two kind of very strong burn families right. so on the north and kind of 
west sides of us out that way you have the old Lachlan burn and that yeah. would have been very strong traditional holding of that family yeah. then on the other side of us here on the south and on the east you'd have had the O'Connor burn okay. so the Darfins lived in this kind of middle little valley as a buffer kind of between the two and we actually know an awful lot about the history and the heritage of the family because they were they were Breton lawyers so they were involved in maintaining the Gaelic law codes yes. and because of that a lot of their family records are written down and have been found and have been found and preserved and one of the reasons we know so much about Brehan Law as a thing in general is because of a document called Egerton 88 which is transcribed over here at the end of the valley of Carmarthen right and that's now in the British Museum right, right. Uh, we're just a little bit noise in the background which is fantastic because six kids have just come in <laughs> and I can see that they're enthused and if, just to be put in context as well that we're looking at I guess the younger girls about 8 or 9 and uh, they're up to about 10 or 12 which is indicative again this is an interesting place to bring kids. It is, yeah. And I think one of the things that kids love, you can see they've all got their little handouts here. Yes. So we have a treasure hunt that the kids do and it encourages them to engage with the history and to find their way through and to look at all the material. So they come out and they do that and they enjoy it. It's a bit of fun for families as well. Everyone has a bit of fun and life with it and we provide we provide some minor confectionery treasure when they get back to the business. Right. So it means that the, the parents are able to let the kids run with the, with the map on the truth and the, Yes, it yeah. provides the necessary distraction. It's the distraction's important for us all from time to time, I think, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. So now, yeah, we're here in the centre and we can see internal walls. These would have been... So th it's interesting now, if you look at the heights of the walls, yes. so you can see there's a little low circle here. So yes. There's a little low circle on the ground here. So yes. That's the very first habitation structure we found is represented by that little low circle. So what we try to do is represent the structures that were discovered by the heights of the walls. So if you imagine this, this structure was inhabited for nearly a thousand years. So there's layers of habitation and layers of interaction which occur so we're trying to represent those layers by the heights of the walls so I guess that this round structure represents the kind of the builder phase so the yeah. people who have moved in here first that have lived in that round structure then as we move along the next height of walls over here is kind of the established phase so now we're a couple of hundred years further on and you start to see more kind of high value stuff so you start the beginnings of metalworks, beginnings of leather work these people have moved on from kind of defensive okay. orientation towards more of a trade orientation and at that point we think we're on a primary routeway here so as you cross the burn we were saying we're in this valley here yes. and this valley leads to the sea at Ballybohan going back that way and it leads to the market zone at Newville which is over this way so this would have been on a kind of a trading route between the sea and that market Okay. so okay. That, that kind of work that these guys do in terms of metal work and leather work has two kind of ready outlets right. one at either end of that on what you just said about the height of the walls mm. over periods of time um, whether it be just wind or vegetation mm. our ground level appears to have risen creeps up yeah yeah and when we look in the fire pit we're looking down yeah and um, so the ground we're standing on is now the original like how high are we over what may have been so we think we're about five feet in most places over what may have been yes now the thing to bear in mind is if you look at say this pathway here is an original pathway that's a 16th century pathway that's 400 and something years old right and you can see it in the limestone see it's worn completely smooth yes and that, like that's going to have been broken stone to come up rough edged right so it's seen a lot of traffic we found another pathway which exists under that so we think what probably happened if you imagine maybe 25 people lived here they'd have to bring in their animals at night because cows in particular are very valuable in the world. Mm -hmm. So you'd have animals living here, you've people living here, you've all the detritus that arises from that sort of that sort of kind of life usage. So over time that stuff builds up and what they what they're effectively doing is rising the floor level every so often 
to accommodate that event, you know. In addition, though, when you based on what you just said as well, that it would be creating rich earth, so that the soil quality in here is probably then superior to what I'm looking at it out is. there. You can see it in the grass; it's as green and lush over there as anywhere you'll see in the park. That's true. That's true. So yes, yeah. so, so that makes total sense as well. Yeah. It was, yeah. I was actually. It was one of the things that in much later times for us as a family made it a great place to store a few cattle when you brought them back from the mart. Yeah. They'd be happy to sit down and lie down in there for you. They wouldn't be trying to get out. Yeah. Well, no, ideal. While I've noticed the kids here and they're jumping up on the internal walls that you built to, to illustrate, mm. you have ropes going around because we are looking at the original wall. You're looking at the original wall. Thousand years old. Now. Yeah, and it's part. It's part of our kind of our part of our goal here is to preserve and protect. We yeah. view, we view ourselves very much as a, as kind of custodians. So like we're five generations here. What we'd like to see it is, to, is that it would continue on and there'd be another five generations of us afterwards and they'd be well looked after for all that time. So Sean, this is private property and you operate this to uh, open it up to the public. Mm. Given that it's such a beautiful site and so rich in heritage, um, I would imagine that this in itself comes with a lot of restrictions. Yes, there's a lot, so there are, there are a lot of rules in terms of in terms of visitor management. So you can see the ropes here. Yeah. There's also, even though you can't see them, you've actually been actively monitored in CCTV while you're here. Right. So we do our best to preserve the structure in every way that we can. I think as well for our archaeology digs, so all our archaeology programs are licensed by the Irish state. Right. So we're subject to rules that apply by the from the Irish state. We're subject to kind of conservation rules for what we find. So one of the things, so one of the costs that we incur as people who support the excavation here is the cost of conserving anything that's recovered and we also that carbon dating is something that we fund privately as well Okay. but but every artifact that is recovered here is the property of the Irish state yeah. so everything we everything that comes out of the ground ultimately heads to National Museum or heads to government ownership in some shape or form so we'd like to feel like we're giving back and um, is there any uh, facility here or have you looked at with in cooperation with any of the museums where some of the pr- items that may have been found that have been given to the state or loaned back to you for display. We're very keen to do that. Um, we have been working with we have been working with people and talking to people about it. Um, I suppose it's one of those things everybody has to kind of work together and it takes some time for everybody to come to agreements about how to progress that. Indeed. So Sean if somebody is on the road um, yeah. and I know this is on the map like on the, the, the Burren map and identified on it but if they're heading as you say from uh, we came this morning from Dumbleton Valley and we're heading up towards the Ballybohan area. And Lovely drive. Yeah, and it was. But so if somebody is, is looking for you, um, you have your own website. We do. We have our own website, caraconnell.com. We're active on social media, so you can find us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or on YouTube. So we do our sheepdog demonstration materials all available on YouTube, if anybody right. wants to see that. So we have a YouTube channel at Caraconnell. We are also on those kind of burn maps and that sort of thing. Um, a thing that we frequently used of late, they've got this new air code system in Ireland, yes. which is a wonderful way to find things. Oh. Just plug it into Google Maps and yeah. the car directs you. So our, our air code is V95YK31. And it's been very helpful. We get these interesting phone calls sometimes behind the desk of people going, I'm trying to get to you, but I'm yeah. not sure where I am. Yes. <laughs> and the day I, I, I have to compliment the Irish government on their air code system because in Canada, 
uh, it's a block. Our, our postal code represents a block of houses, and of course, every individual building here, every structure has its own. It has its own one, yes. Yeah. So there was a lot. There was a lot of kind of pushback about it because it was a very kind of expensive system to develop. But actually, especially for us now, we're seeing huge value because it, that one structure thing mean, means people can actually find you exactly. And it, as a rural dweller, finding you exactly can be quite a challenge for delivery men or for well, and of whoever. The big issue always is in the event that somebody has a, uh, an issue with a heart attack or something, yeah. that the ambulance comes to the right address. It's always uh, it's, a su- it's a super thing for that, I think, yeah. and it's a super thing just in terms of a simple solution to what was quite a complicated problem. Now, you have spent the last um, close on 20 minutes, 20 minutes with us, giving us a wonderful explanation of what's going on here. If a group of people arrive, are there people there? Do you come out and talk to them? So, again? we're always delighted to talk to people. We're a very sociable family. We love talking to people. Um, because of the current rules here, we're not in a position to talk to people at the moment. We do hope to be able to do that in the not too dim and distant future again. Yes. I think one of the important things about this whole project for us is sharing it with people and I think as well one of the great joys of being in this kind of business is being outside and talking to people and, <laughs> and, and while you are weather dependent um, the, for, for some of this I must say in, in our period in, since we've been here this trip hmm. um, we can count on our fingers the number of days we have not been able to get out less than close on a year. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. I, I, I play a bit of golf myself and I always say to people, you know, it rains occasionally in Ireland, but it seldom rains all day. Yes. See, so yes. you, you can always get a gap. So we, what we suggest to people is we do the sheepdog demonstrations here as well, and that's not weather dependent. You can always stand in under, it's sheltered, everybody's safe. So you always have the option of doing that before or after you come and see the fort. So the two of them marry well together. When you said sheepdog demonstrations, I know I've heard it said that <coughs> the senior dogs train the junior dogs oh don't let my dad hear you saying that he will not be happy he spends months and months training junior dogs out there but is, do, they, do the juniors not learn from the they do, so I think there's two components to it yeah. do you know it's like an apprenticeship almost isn't it yeah. there's skills of the trade that you must learn for yourself yeah. and then there's tricks of the trade you learn from those who are more experienced right, right. and I think it's the same for the sheepdogs there's the skills there's the tricks yeah. and you kind of pick up you pick up some from the older ones and you pick up some <laughs> yourself <laughs> indeed so the sheepdog demonstrations twice a day twice, so twice a day um, we do them, we can do them on request for groups and we also do private demonstrations if you have people who are particularly interested or want some more private time matters. Right, indeed. Sean, thanks a million for taking the time. As I said, the, the website again is caroconnell.com and uh, that's search for that on Google and it'll bring you to your YouTube, your Instagram, your Facebook and your Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we do our best to chat as much as we can. We're a very sociable Irish family. Thanks a million, Sean. <laughs> thanks very much.